0: I read something this week that pretty well slapped me in the face. It is this Jesus, the truth in part, died because he made others see the lies they were living. Let me read that again. Jesus, the truth in part, died because he made others see the lie they were living. As I sat outside pondering this quote alongside our text for today, and I was pondering the ways in which the pandemic has also revealed the lie that I'm tempted to live. This lone playing card came flying off my roof in the wind and it landed next to me. Never mind how playing cards have gotten on our roof, it's another story. Coincidentally, the card was the two of hearts. And I thought, hmm. I kept glancing back at it. And while the, for a while, the card just sat face up as if it were kind of staring at me. And then it fell flat on its face. That two of hearts reminded me of what I often feel like I'm guided by two hearts or a divided heart, not one whole heart. And this leaves me feeling a bit off or like I've fallen flat on my face, disconnected from myself and with others. It leaves me feeling off from where I know my heart to be true or whole and being one with God and neighbor. And deep down, my heart joins with the psalmist who prays, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. For sure, these feelings have been pronounced in the pandemic and rightly so, at least for me. I mean, I live in the suburbs comfortably with little concern about my physical well-being as a white-bodied, upper-middle-class, educated, cisgender woman. And while I am engaged in long-term meaningful relationships with people all over the globe, and I'm growing in relationship with my neighbors through some concrete action, there have been moments in this pandemic when my life feels a bit like a lie, or at the very least, a little hypocritical. And it's caused me to ask some questions, like, what am I doing about all that afflicts those around me? What are we, as a church, doing about all the things that we can no longer ignore? And these are questions not meant to shame, but to honestly reflect, even today, on how Jesus' sentencing and death confronts the lies that we live. I believe that if we're paying attention, we'll notice that Jesus comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable, even as he is sentenced to death. And if we're paying attention, I think we'll also notice that the Jesus people seek is not the same Jesus we find When we really encounter Christ, Jesus doesn't always meet our expectations. And at this point, someone might say, praise be to God, right? For that. Today, our text comes from John chapter 19, verses 1 through 16. And by this point in the story, Jesus has been betrayed. He has been denied by Peter. He has been arrested and taken before the high priest and then to Pilate. And as Brittany pointed out last week, Jesus has taken one last opportunity with Pilate to reveal the truth of what it means to be Christ, which is to bring people into the kingdom. And so now we are at chapter 19, verses 1 through 16. You're welcome to follow along if you'd like. I'll be reading from the NRSV. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged, and the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, here is the man. When the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has claimed to be the son of God. Now, when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? Jesus answered him. You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, here is your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king, but the emperor. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. You may not remember because I mean, I almost didn't remember, but we actually looked at this exact text back in November. And as I stated then, it remains true that Jesus embodied the good news that dominant powers are not ultimate powers. This good news he demonstrated by not answering Pilate's question, where are you from? Jesus knows his identity comes from a different place. He's not competing with Pilate for dominion, nor will he form an unholy alliance. Jesus does not simply belong to the emperor or to Rome or to the governor or even to just the Jews who are crying out, if you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Jesus is a different kind of king. And today I'd like to add that Jesus also doesn't meet the expectations of the people, but he meets their deepest needs. The people expected a king. They expected someone who would hold a position among them. And yet the one in that position at the time was the emperor. We see Jesus mocked when presented as their king, dressed in this crown of thorns and in a purple or kind of signifying royalty, right, robe. And the priests who belong to a people who had long awaited a king, responded, we have no king but the emperor. Over time, they had found their king and to some extent their identity in the empire, caving to systems and powers. They were comfortable. And of course, not to be inconvenience, particularly on this day of preparation for the Passover, by having to confront the lies that they had been living. So it's not surprising that just before this text, in chapter 18, the Jews chose Barabbas, a bandit, to be released instead of Jesus. And then there were, of course, Jesus's claims of having a special relationship with God, the father that posed an additional threat to the structures of power to which the people had grown comfortable. The chief priests and police even said, we have a law and according to that law, he ought to, he ought to die because he has claimed to be the son of God. Those who stood in opposition to the empire stood outside of their skewed understanding of belonging or kinship. So at the word that Jesus had broken the law by claiming to be the son of God, Pilate realized that he could lose his status with the emperor, this merely human king who claimed divinity. But in verse eight, it says that Pilate was more afraid than ever. Maybe because not only could he lose his position of power, but also possibly because he realizes that if he were wrong about Jesus, he could be wrong about the divine. Pilate's story exemplifies that position can be lost or taken. In contrast, Jesus is not wavered by those who hold particular positions, because power and position are not to be confused. Even standing before Pilate, who sat in the position of judge at the stone pavement, Jesus embodies a power that only comes from above. It is a power not to be confused with one's position, socially, economically, institutionally, or religiously. Not to be confused with the position of being born into poverty or as a Gentile, outcast from community, prohibited from entering the temple, put in the seat of judgment, stoned, barren, widowed, sentenced to death, hanging on a cross, executed, or even lying dead in a tomb. Jesus turns the ideas of power upside down in his statement to Pilate. You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. It is this power residing in God that over and over again throughout the gospels has comforted the afflicted who have been drawn from both near and far to Jesus position is not to be confused with power power's true strength comes in being given away and the kind of power that jesus holds cannot be upset and rather than taking life this kind of power gives life This notion of power sat outside the people's understanding and expectation, but was everything the people needed. The law was meant to give life by bringing the people in alignment with the will of God, to create a just society and to usher in peace or shalom. But the law often failed by missing God's intent and by being used as a crutch of sorts, reinforcing hypocrisy and dismissing the needs at the heart of the people. The Messiah that people sought was not the same Messiah they found when they really encountered Christ, enfleshed in Jesus. Jesus embodied love as his identity and connection to all people even those who stood as his enemies, even as he faced his sentencing and crucifixion. Sitting on the other side of this story, we can see that Jesus, the embodiment of love, lives, dies, and will be resurrected with a single heart, undivided and connected to all people. Bearing the truth of belonging in the kingdom of God. Yes, Jesus, the truth in part, died because he made others see the lie they were living. It was the lie that they stood outside of the kingdom. The lie that we, are people, disconnected from God and neighbor. I want to leave us not with answers today, but with questions to ponder this week as we continue our journey toward the cross with Jesus who comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. As we find ourselves afflicted, how is Jesus bringing comfort? As we find ourselves comfortable, what are we doing about all that afflicts those around us? What are we, as the church who live in the truth of the kingdom, doing about all the things that we can no longer ignore? And is the Jesus we're looking for the Jesus we find when we really encounter Christ? who turns our expectations upside down, giving us an undivided heart and meeting the world's deepest needs. Amen.